Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. For homework this week, I, um, I had to look up some upsets. Um, I, I remember when I would watch Fear Factor. I didn't watch it a lot, but whenever I got to see that show, one of the things that I always like to do, and I've since discovered that it's kind of in my DNA to do this with whatever, if I see a competition, and I think it's probably true for most of us, when we see a competition, we always size up the competition, and we always try and figure out who we think the winner's going to be. That's just the way we operate, I think. Um, I'm no different, and when I would watch Fear Factor, I would watch them introduce the contestants, and then I would try and figure out who I thought was going to come out on top of that. I mean, that's why we watch those kind of shows anyway. And so um, I, I never seem to get that right. I always, you know, I was always shocked by the, the girl that could eat the stuff that nobody else would eat or um, by their ability to keep their composure under difficult circumstances. So I, I've always, and I've always kind of liked the underdog. I think most of us do. We, we like um, the little guy when it comes to struggle. So this week, as part of my preparation, I went and found... Um, ESPN's top 10 upsets of all time. Okay, they asked their readers to write in, and I guess they did this by the responses of the letters that got sent back to them and the explanations as to who they thought were the the best um, upsets of all time. Number 10 was the 1969 Miracle Mets who won the World Series over Baltimore. And if you know anything about the Mets that year, they were they were really were not very good throughout the whole year, but they got better. And uh, toward the end, they, they, they really turned it on and they were able to overcome Baltimore. That was number 10. Number nine uh, is, is the, the only race that Man of War ever lost. He lost one race. And I don't know if you've ever been to the, the Kentucky Horse Park. I highly recommend you go see that. That's a great place to go. They've got a a place there where you can see a, a statue of Man of War, and he was just huge. And they, they show you how long, how much time he was in the air, like when his feet left the ground and where they touched the ground again. It would amaze you to see how much ground that horse could cover in a really short period of time. But but a horse, one horse beat him. He went 20 and 1. Guess what the horse's name was? Upset. That's where we get the term upset. Um, that's where we, when we start to apply it to someone who wins something unexpectedly, it came from the horse who beat Man of War. His name was Upset. Number eight, uh, 1983, North Carolina State, and I will never forget this. I was a freshman at Johnson Bible College watching this in Kent Sparks' room when the North Carolina State basketball team unexpectedly beat Houston. I don't know if you remember that or not, but Houston, and they had a, they, they called themselves Phi Slamma Jamma. Do you remember Phi Slamma Jamma? And they beat Phi Slamma Jamma on a last second uh, alley-oop dunk shot. It was amazing. Number seven, I remember this. I remember we, I was at Johnson. I was a freshman. It was snowing outside, and there were like two or three inches of snow on the ground, and we uh, all got together, and we drove to a, a Mr. Gaddy's Pizza to watch this on their uh, cable television system, because we didn't have that at Johnson. It was um, Chaminade uh, played Virginia. Remember Ralph Sampson, big, tall, seven, what was he, like seven, four? And Chaminade was this little school out of Hawaii, and they were playing, I think, in the, in the uh, Rainbow Classic, and Chaminade upset Virginia, huge upset. Number six, Super Bowl three. that's the one where Joe Namath predicted that they would win. It was the one where he, he called it out, and that's, that stood the test of time as one of the great upsets of all time. Number five, Villanova over Georgetown in 1984. In, in uh, the early 90s, 
Number four was Duke overcame UNLV. I don't know if you remember the, the great UNLV teams of the day, but they just seemed so imposing, and it didn't seem like anybody had what it took to really beat UNLV. And, and going into that, usually Duke is the favored one to win those kind of things, not this time. Going into this game, nobody gave Duke a shot, and they ended up beating UNLV in the early 90s. I don't know if you know who Rulon Gardner is, but he's one of the Olympic uh, wrestlers that we've had. He's just a good old country boy from Utah, and he was going to wrestle, um, what was that dude's name? Alexander Carolyn in the Sydney Olympics. He upset him. This guy had never been beaten, and Rulon Gardner, if you could see the two stand side by side, looks like one guy works out all the time and it looks like the other guy you know eats steak and potatoes and works on the farm and you'd say there's no way that he's going to beat him but he did uh just a huge huge upset that was number three by the readers number two Buster Douglas knocks out Mike Tyson do you remember that you remember when Mike Tyson I mean his matches went like what three 30 seconds he knocked everybody out in 30 seconds they'd have this great big lead up to the big fight and then Mike would come out and whoever it was he was fighting he'd knock him to the ground 30 to 40 seconds, the whole thing was over. Buster Douglas beats him. Nobody had really ever heard of Buster Douglas, and they expected him to be the next guy that hit the canvas. Didn't happen. He won. And then number one, the 1980 miracle on ice when, when uh, the United States at uh, Lake Placid Games upset uh, the Russian Olympic team, and uh, they made a movie about it. So those are the top ten upsets of all time according to ESPN. Now we've got a verse that we've been kind of operating off of for the last several weeks. It's kind of a memory verse for us and if you haven't memorized this I'd like to challenge you to to do that. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or you could insert the word fear but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's kind of what we're operating off of this week. That's that's where we've we've, we've been kind of anchored throughout this whole series uh, this idea that, that God is with us and he's not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of, of overcoming. He's given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Uh, the story begins today with a battle that you are very, very familiar with. Um, on one side are the Philistines who are up on this ridge and they're, they're looking across the valley at the Israelites and this is the story of David and Goliath. And so you're thinking, oh, I've already heard this story. But there, hopefully we're going to bring out some new things from the story this morning that will help you in your everyday life. And one of the things I've discovered as I do these, these old famous stories is I just assume that everybody has heard these. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but we've got a lot of people in this room who haven't grown up in church. And they haven't heard all the stories. And sometimes when I say things like, you know, we've all heard David and Goliath... People inevitably walk out and say, Brett, that's the first time I've ever heard that story really preached on or taught. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard about David and Goliath, but I've never heard the story of David and Goliath. So you may have heard it, but there's probably some people in here this morning that haven't. You have these warriors on one side, the Israelites, looking across the valley at the Philistines. The Philistines were huge. They were, they were disgusting to the Israelites. They, they, they weren't the kind of people that... Uh, the Israelites wanted around. They didn't want to tangle with them. They, they, they had a reputation. The Israelites have already beaten them in their past, but there's something different uh, about this group. Um, on the other side of the mountain are the Israelites, the, the best that Israel had to offer. These are the best fighters that King Saul's got, uh, been able to get his hands on. And between them is this large valley. And so they're, you know, they're squaring off every day and they're looking at each other and that's where this confrontation is gonna take place. But there's something different about this battle. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. 
He was over nine feet tall. Now, I've done this sermon before or, or sermons on Goliath before, and we've had a nine-foot cutout up here. It's, it's very imposing. I mean, if you can imagine a guy that's nine feet tall, and he steps out from the ranks, and he starts to talk. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. So his armor weighs about 125 pounds. Okay, this guy is huge. And everything about him is huge. His armor is even huge. Chapter, verse 6. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That translates to about 15 pounds. So everything about this guy is big. All of his armor is big. It's imposing. I mean, you look at him and he's just, you know, got, he's dripping in weaponry. Uh, he's just a huge guy. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So you have Goliath, this, this huge man. He steps out of the Philistine camp, and, and he's intimidating, and he's scary, and he's strong. You know, he's got a reputation that precedes him. Everybody's heard about Goliath. They know about this big giant of a man, and, and nobody really wants to have to face him down. He is a warrior among warriors, and he looks up and down the armies of the Israelites, and he begins to taunt Israel. Verse 10, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. That word defy, if you have a, a pen in your hand, you want to circle that word because that word literally means he poured out obscenities. So he's just really, he's being very offensive. He's doing all he can to, to raise the ire of the Israelites to try and get somebody to step out and fight him. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now back in this time, you have to understand that this was a common practice uh, in some instances, when two armies would square off like this, and let's say they were going to fight over a piece of land, or let's say that there was some dispute over uh, some piece of property or some, usually a minor thing, they would send a, a representative from each side. Instead of having the whole armies fight and having everybody get killed, they would send one person out, and that person would fight as a representative for that particular side. That's what normally happened in a medium to low uh, stakes face-off. But this isn't a medium to low stakes face-off. The loser uh, is basically going to become the property of the other. I mean, this is, the stakes are very high in this case. This is, this is a little unusual that what, with the stakes being what they are, that they're sending Goliath out. But that just goes to show you exactly how confident they were in, David's, in uh, Goliath's uh, fighting skills. This was different. This was Goliath. This was, uh, you know, this was uh, somebody you did not want to tangle with. Verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That word literally means to be broken. They were broken and terrified. Now, King Saul was known to be a pretty valiant warrior in his own right. He was, uh, he was somebody that, that had a reputation all his own. And the men that he had brought with him were the best of the best. These guys had seen battles before. They'd seen the Philistines before, and they'd been able to overcome them. It wasn't like they'd never done this before. But this day was different. This day, they had Goliath, the Goliath, the big guy that his, who, who everybody's heard about him, and somebody that nobody wanted to tangle with. And in their minds, they were broken and terrified because they just knew there's no way to beat this guy. There's a lot at stake. To lose to Goliath means that the nation of Israel will be humiliated uh, beyond belief. Um, here's the truth. In our lives, we all face a Goliath of some kind. 
Every one of us at some point and, and maybe possible times, uh, we're going to face Goliath. You might be facing yours right now. What I want you to do is, is I want you to, this morning, I want you to identify what your Goliath is. Is there something in your world even now that you would say, yeah, that's my thing. That's, that's, that's what I, you know, that's the thing that comes out from the line and calls out obscenities and wants to make me broken and terrified. Um, that's what my, my deal is. What is your Goliath? the thing that you don't like to bring up, the thing that you think you can't defeat, the thing that, that you think is bigger than you and it's, you know, you've just learned how to kind of make friends with it and, and integrate it into your life. Maybe, maybe you can't even identify it because you have gotten so used to having it that it's just become a natural part of who you are and what your life is that you just kind of go on day to day and you don't even really pay that much attention to it. The thing you've tried to beat the thing you've, you've tried to get around, you've tried, and, and what you've ended up doing in a lot of cases is that you've, you've rationalized it and you've said, well, you know, this is just the way it is and it's not going to get any better than this and I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. It might be an addiction to pornography. It might be uh, some addiction that you've got to some chemical dependency. It might be a problem that you've got in your marriage. It could be something that you've got at work. It could be any number of things that you would say, that is my Goliath thing. That's the thing that I constantly am trying to overcome, and I just can't seem to get there. For some of you, like I said, it's possible that you're trying to identify one, and you can't really identify one because you've gotten so good at hiding what it is, and you've gotten so good at telling yourself, well, this is just a part of who I am, and I, 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 you know, I, I'm just going to have to learn how to live with this thing for the rest of my life. Figure out this morning what is your Goliath. You've got to identify, you've got to know what it is that you go up against um, and hear it calling out to you. Uh, the Philistines, for 40 days, were coming out. They, the, the Philistines would come out every day. This is the way this worked every day. They woke up in the morning, both lines came out to the battlefield, they stood on their respective ridges, and they would call, hurl out uh, threats and insults at one another. And they would just try and intimidate one another across this valley. Every day for 40 days, that's what happened. The Philistines were no different. They did the same thing. Every day, Goliath would step out. He would call out the threats. He would try and humiliate the Israelites and scare them to death and abuse them verbally and pour out obscenities on them. This was an everyday occurrence for 40 days. The best of the Israelite army listened to this every day for 40 days. And every day for 40 days, they came out, and as they called these things out, it sounded like they were ready to go to war. It sounded like they really had some intent on fighting these Philistines. It looked like they were ready for battle. The truth is, they never intended to fight. The truth is, every morning they got up, they came out to their line, they started to call out their threats, and nothing happened. Maybe you would say that this morning. Maybe you'd say, man, that sounds like me. I talk tough. I talk about how I'm going to overcome this thing that I've got in my world, I've got in my life, and I can't seem to knock this thing down, and it's always there, and it's always in my presence, and it's, you know, I go to pray, and that's the thing that gets in the way of me and God, even I can't even have a good prayer time, because this thing, whatever it is, stands in the way of me and God and I you know and you would say I have no intention of fighting this thing anymore I mean I've just gotten to the place where I'm so intimidated by it or it's so much bigger than me I don't feel like I've got any weaponry to go up against it I've just gotten to a place where I've said okay this is a reality in my life and I'm just going to from this point on this is the thing that's just going to be part of who I am every day and you really don't have any intention you talk big you talk tough you talk about how you're going to whip it but you never do because it's just bigger than you we say we're ready for battle and we know what needs to be done, but the giant is so big that we are broken and we are terrified and we really have no intention of taking up the fight. Today, today, no more. 
We're not going to do that. We're going to attack our Goliaths. This is where David enters the story. This is the beautiful part of this whole story. David has seven brothers. Three of those brothers are actually in the Israelite army. They are in service to King Saul. And David is back. He's watching the sheep. You know, he's family business with sheep. And so he's, he's back there looking over sheep. Uh, his dad, Jesse, calls him one day and says, David, um, I've got a care package that I want you to take to the sons that are on the front lines at the, at the battle. I want you to, you know, run this out there. And he's, he loads David up with all kinds of goodies for the soldiers. And um, so David does exactly what, what he's supposed to do. Um, and he gets there just as the armies of God are going out that morning to begin to, to talk smack with the Philistines again. He, he, he arrives just at the point where they're going to stand and cry their battle cries from across the way uh, to one another. That's when David shows up. And uh, it's here that we can learn something about how to handle conflict. Look at verse 23. As he was talking with them, he's talking to his brothers, and he's talking to the Israelite. Uh, army Goliath the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance this is day 41 but this is a different day because David just showed up this is a day that would be different this is where we read and David heard it this has been going on for 40 days and David hadn't heard it but this day, David shows up, and he's there talking with his brothers or whoever's there, and all of a sudden, uh, Goliath comes stepping out from his line, and he says the same things he's always said. And, you know, I don't know what kind of things uh, Goliath was saying, but you can just imagine that they weren't real pleasant. You can just imagine that they're the kind of things that are very insulting. I don't know if you ever watch television, and sometimes you hear something that is insulting to Christianity. And you, you get this, this indignant outrage going in your mind and one of the things I constantly tell myself uh, whenever I'm watching television and I hear something like that I want to you know I want to defend it I want to defend God and I want to rise up and do something mean and and I, I can hear God saying back Brett I'm I'm big I can handle that okay I, I appreciate that it bothers you and it's good that you know you're paying attention and it's good that it kind of gets under your skin but um, I don't need anybody to defend me I'm I got this covered I'll you know I'll I'll take care of things. Look at what happens with David. David heard it. As had now become the custom when the Israelites heard Goliath, <laughs> they would turn and run in fear. That's what the Bible says. They would come out every day for 40 days. They would rattle their swords. De Goliath would speak. And when Goliath would speak, he would scare the Israelites so bad that they would run off and hide. Can you imagine being an Israelite soldier, every day of your life for 40 days, you wake up, you go out, rattle your swords, you hear Goliath speak, you turn your tail, and you run and hide. Can you imagine what that would do to you if you did that every single day? But David heard it, which brings us to battle strategy number one. Hear the lies. You have to hear the lies. You need to hear them so you can call them out, so that you can say, that's a lie, that's not true, that's not going to apply to me anymore. David hears the lies. When you know the truth, you can recognize the lies. Look now at how David responds when he hears the lies of Goliath. The second part of verse 26 who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You, you know, you got to love that. Try that. You know, try that with the person at work tomorrow that you're really not getting along with. Try and call them the uncircumcised Philistine. Let me know how that works out for you. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I was a, I was a youth pastor. I was in Seymour, Indiana. We had a basketball team. We were in a basketball league. Um, 
we're just a bunch of country boys, really. They, they, our, our team wasn't all that good, but we played well together as a team, which is really the important part of basketball is that you work together as a team. And we were in this league um, up, in north, the, uh, up north in a town called Columbus, Indiana, and we were playing at this church, and we were actually doing really well in the league. And it came time for the tournament to come around, and uh, we started to play this team that had this, this first of all, they had a huge center. This guy was massive. And then they, they you know, we had played them before, and we kind of commented after the thing was over with, it really wasn't like playing a church team, if you know what I mean. I mean, the, the kind of words they used and kind of the way they played and their attitude, it wasn't real, it wasn't real Christian, you know. They, 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 they were kind of nasty. And uh, when it, tournament time came around, they had a new guy that was playing guard for them, and I was the point guard for our team, so I'm bringing the ball up to court, and this guy's like poking me in the ribs and on, on my hips, and he's kind of pushing me as I'm dribbling the ball up, and I'm like, what in the world? And then he starts talking, and he's saying mean things, you know, hateful, nasty things. Well, I took that for about five minutes and realized what was happening, and it took me back just a little bit, and then I thought, oh, okay, that, that's, this is how this is going to work. You know, who do you think you are? And, and that's, you're going down, pretty much, was the attitude I had. We called timeout. We went back to the huddle, and the guys were like, man, these guys are. I said, hey, enough of that. Enough of that. It's time to cut them down. So that's exactly what we did. We went out, and, and uh, you know, we overcame. We played them, played great, and, and we beat them. You know, David's comment is, who does this guy think he is? that he should talk like this about our God. I mean, where does he get off? What, what does he think uh, he's going to accomplish? You know, can you imagine what the other Israelite soldiers are thinking as they hear David kind of spouting off like, you know, oh my goodness. I mean, this guy's taunting. He's, he's shouting obscenities. He's calling, he's basically calling out the Israelite army. And David hears this, and the Bible says that David is deeply offended. And here's the question this morning. What lies are you believing? What lies are you believing? Or maybe another question, what lies are you ignoring? What things does the enemy say to you that you either, you, 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 you're not really, you're, you're not hearing it or you're buying it, you're hearing it, and you're buying into it. What, what lies are they? You, know, you can't help have a healthy relationship with your kids. You can't have a healthy relationship with your spouse. You can't have a healthy relationship with your boss. You can't, um, get involved at church here's a lie you can't uh, afford to be a, a, a person who honors God with your money you can't um, you can't do that at work because um, you know people won't understand what lies are you hearing and believing every day of your life or what lies are you just to the point now where you don't even think they're lies anymore you've kind of come to believe them as the truth they're lies the truth is that through Christ's strength, you can do anything. The truth is, is that God will never leave you or forsake you. And the enemy calls out to you and says things like, you know what, you're pathetic. It's a lie. You're, you're a failure. That's a lie. You're a loser. Lie. Lie. You've got you've to hear what the enemy's saying, and you've got to know 
that, that what's being said to you in your spirit is a lie. And you're lied to, I'm lied to, every single day. Because if, if the devil can get us to a place where we buy into the things he's selling, we, we pretty much become the Israelite army. And we might rattle our sabers and we might talk a good game about following Jesus, but at the end of the day, our faith has no power and we, sh- we shake our swords and we turn and run away the minute Goliath starts to talk to us. Hear the lies. Because the truth is, you are created in the image of God. The truth is, God works for the good to all those who, are, uh, who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the truth. The truth is that Jesus died for you and me so that we don't have to be defeated by these giants that crop up in our life and, and whisper, not just whisper, but many times yell out and scream out these insults to us. The truth is that when God looks down and sees us, he does not see our righteousness. He does not see our failures. When God, this is beautiful to me, that when God looks down and sees us, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ for those who are Christ followers. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see how you can't do it. When Christ looks down, when God looks down, he sees the righteousness of Christ all over you. That is, that is a, just a beautiful thought to me. The truth is, is that you are a child of God, that you belong to the king, that you have everything available to you that the king has. You are a child of the king. All the rights and privileges of a child of God are yours. That is the truth. Hear the lies, but recognize that they're lies because you know the truth. Well, everybody sees that David is upset uh, the buzz starts happening. They start talking about this idea that, you know, oh, David's getting ticked off. And he's just a kid. He's not very big, and he probably doesn't look like a great warrior. I imagine some of them are kind of laughing at the thought that this guy thinks he's going to do anything against Goliath. And some of the other ones are probably saying to themselves, man, I think this guy might be half crazy enough to just go try and take him on. I mean, the buzz starts to happen in the camp. And then Saul calls David. Because word gets to, to Saul that David is thinking this way. So Saul calls David to him, and, and look at what David says in verse 32. Let no one lose account of this Philistine, lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And David was moved to action. He's ready to go fight the giant. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, you might want to rethink that I mean you're not real big you don't have any experience if you were really a good fighter you'd be here with the Israelite army to begin with but be ready because when you decide to go and fight the giant you're ready for your second battle strategy which is don't listen to the naysayers you can't listen to the people who tell you that you can't do it how many times have you been told you can't do something and then it turns out that you can do it how many times have you heard a, a group of people be told that you are a team you just you're not going to be able to overcome them I mean, we can go back to the to all these upsets i mean the mets anybody would have looked at the mets and said hey you may as well just give up you can't beat these guys i mean going into this playoff series um anaheim i think a lot of people were saying anaheim is the team you're just not going to beat anaheim this year they're too good yet boston is it's 2-0 isn't it Anaheim's down 2-0 to Boston. I mean, we can go down this list. Chaminade, do you think anybody gave Chaminade a chance against seven foot four Ralph Sampson and Virginia? The, the Villanova game at, with Georgetown, that game was played in Lexington, Kentucky. I'll never forget that. Nobody gave Villanova a shot in that game, and yet they, they stung Georgetown in that game. I mean, you know, you're constantly told you can't do something. 
Right after David has declared his intent to Saul, look what Saul says in verse 33. This is is Saul's reply when David says, hey, I'm going to go take this guy out. Saul replied, you are not able to go, uh, uh, go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. You can hear it, can't you? You can hear it in your own life when there have been times when you've been told that you can't do it. You can hear it when that giant, whatever it is, is calling out to you and says, hey, don't even try and rise up against me. Don't even think for a second that you've got what it takes to overcome me. I've been dominating you for years. And and if you, you know, you can go to church and have a little religion, that's great. But at the point that you start believing what the preacher tells you that, that you can actually overcome me, can't happen. That's what we're tempted to do. But what you need to do is do what David did. You need to remember the God stories. There are, there are stories uh, that, that have been happening in your world where, where God has showed up before, for, uh, for you before. I remember, you know, this whole idea of being told that you can't do it. I remember before we hired Kyle, <laughs> I had somebody tell me, and I've told Kyle this before, I had somebody tell me right before we hired Kyle or when, when we were kind of making it known that we wanted to bring Kyle on as our worship pastor, I had someone tell me that Kyle Nelson would never, ever be able to lead worship. That just, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, are you stupid? I mean, what, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? I, I remember when I told you this a couple of weeks ago, right after I had been asked to be the preacher at the church or at least to take over for a little while, um, had someone make an appointment with me in my office and they came in, I remember it was right back here and they sat in the corner of my office and we talked for about an hour and at the end of it he said, look Brett, here, here's what I really came to say to you today. I think the elders have made a huge mistake. I, I, you, you're not ready for this and you can't do this. And, and you know what? He probably was right about most of what he was saying. I wasn't ready and I, I you know, I was intimidated and it probably was a much bigger job than me and to be real honest, it probably still is to this day. But, but the enemy wants you to believe the lies that he's telling you. And he just expects when he whispers that thing in your ear, you're a loser. You know better. He just expects that you're going to roll over like you always do and say, well, you know, you're right. I, I, I'm not that good. You see, as soon as Saul starts his discouragement of David, a cool thing happens. David starts to recite his resume. David starts to think back to the God stories in his life, the places where God has shown up and done this amazing, incredible thing. Because see, when David was younger and he was out with the sheep and he was protecting the sheep, at one point a bear shows up and David goes out and takes care of the bear. The bear's trying to take the sheep away and David says, no, you're not. He goes and takes care of the bear. That's a point for David. And he says, look, that's a time when when God showed up in my world and he starts to tell Saul these stories. He said, there's another time a lion showed up and I took the lion down. Tried to take my sheep and I took it down. God helped me then, God will help me now. And he begins to recite his resume of success. This is a key thing in this whole deal. Not what he's done on his own. Okay? This isn't David's resume of success. This is really God's resume of success in the life of David. That's what you've got to understand. And so David ends the story like this in verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I mean, is that kind of like, well, good luck. You know, have at it. Let me know how that works out for you. David says, God's done it before. He did it with a bear. He did it with a lion. He did it before. He'll do it again. When people say that God can't or won't, you need to remember 
what God has done in your world. So David and Goliath are about to face off. They approach each other. Goliath, get this picture in your head, Goliath, this nine-foot guy dripping with weaponry, okay? He is tricked out. He's got every uh, weapon available to him. And then you've got David on the other side toting a what? Slingshot. See, we all know that. We all know that. Goliath's got all this weaponry. He's got all this stuff. And here you got David standing there, you know, kind of, kind of twirling his twing, his, his twirling his twing shot, slingshot around. Intimidating. Goliath was intimidating. For 40 days, this had worked. But for 40 days, he hadn't run, he hadn't run across somebody who believed that God was with him. And that was David. And David is face to face with him. Look at what he says. Goliath says to David in verse 43, am I a dog that's like the worst thing you could say to someone in this time was that they were a dog. That was the worst insult you could give somebody was to call him a dog. Am I a dog that you can come at me with, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath was not impressed. In fact, Goliath probably thought this was a joke. Goliath is this imposing figure. He's huge nine feet tall he's looking down probably at this little boy who's standing in front of him and this is where we see our next battle strategy when you're facing giants don't focus on the giant focus on God David has no armor he's on his way to battle he reaches down he grabs five stones that's all he's got Goliath standing there with all this stuff and, and, and David picks up these five stones why did he pick up five stones? You know why? <laughs> because all he had was a slingshot. I mean, he's, he's going to make do with what he's got. I, I'm, I'm sure if I've thought about it and studied it enough, I'm sure there's probably some teaching stuff, and I'll just throw this out at you and let you, maybe this will disturb you and let you think about it a little bit. But what does this say about being ready to fight with what you have? You know, I think there's, a, I think there's something to be said for uh, traveling light. There's something to be said for being prepared. There's something to be said for... Um, Ingenuity and being able to look around and kind of, you know, the MacGyver quality in us, you know, that we say, okay, this is what I got to work with. This is what all I got is a gum wrapper and a rubber band, so I'm going to make a car out of it. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's possible. I mean, I don't know what it says, but it's at least worth thinking about that, that we think we have to have so much more than we actually have to have. I mean, really, the slingshot and the, the rock, it's like the, the, the bare minimum. You know, it's like, there has to be a story. I mean, there has to be some way. I mean, the story could have been written this way. And David went with empty-handed, and he stared Goliath down. And God caused Goliath to fall apart because David stared him down. No, you at least got to have some kind of weapon. So his weapon is a slingshot and a rock. And we do this all the time. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, we would look at... I mean, let's go back. Let's go back to some of these. If you were going to bet on the Tyson-Buster Douglas fight, who are you putting your money on? If you're going to bet, and you're going to, you've seen Man of War win 20 races, and there's this little horse in the field named Upset. I mean, is anybody really going to put, he was 100 to 1. Upset was 100 to 1 odds on this horse. Beat the great Man of War. Many have said Man of War is the best horse that ever lived. And if you were going to bet, you'd say, well, give me Man of War. Give me Georgetown. Give me UNLV. Give me Houston. Give me the Russians. 
Give me Alexander Carolyn. I mean, you know, you, if you're a betting man, you, what we do is we size up, we look at the size, we look at they're imposing and they're big and they're strong. And we, we, we so quickly are ready to pick the winner based on what we see. It's because we focus on the wrong thing. Our focus is oftentimes misplaced and we compare ourselves to giants. And that's our problem. To tell the truth, you're right. He is a giant. <laughs> and there is no way without God. I mean, if you're going to go up against a giant in your world every day, and you're not going to take God with you, and you're not going to depend on his grace and his strength and his love and compassion and mercy and all the things that are available to you as a child of the king, if you're going to go into battle every day and say, God, I know I belong to you, but I, I got this. I can do this on my own. God's going to say, look, you're going to get slaughtered. And that's basically what happens to us every day. But when you say, I can do this with God. You know, God, it's, it's you and me. I don't want to do this by myself. I can't do this by myself. Makes all the difference. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to the giant and start comparing the giant to God, which is exactly what David did. David understood what mattered and, and that it was all about God. David knew what this was about. And he wanted the giant to understand the same thing. Look what he says in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. In other words, I see it. I see what you've got. I see all your armor. I see you're tricked out. I, I see head to toe. All I see is shiny stuff, and I know you're strong, and I know it takes a big man to, to walk around in 125 pounds of armor. I get all that. Verse 45, the second part. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That is war terminology. Okay, that is a, that's a war phrase. It's a strong name. That's a warfare name. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Verse 46, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And don't miss this point because not only is this for the battle, but this is, this is for the whole victory. And the whole world will know what? There is a God in Israel. That is the motivation for David. The motivation for David is not so that he can win and everybody, hey, look at me, I just took down Goliath. That's not David's motivation. David's motivation is fully for the glory of God. See, see when, you, when, when you understand what the stakes are and when you understand that you're overcoming your giants is a, is a point of glorification for God, it's a motivation for you that you otherwise have not had it's the same kind of thing that happens when I'm watching television and they say something nasty about God or they, they disrespect God and it makes me want to do something. When you are faced with a giant in your world and that giant is breathing insults at you, if you try to go against it with yourself, you're not going to make it. But when you say, God is with me and God will get glory as I overcome it, I promise you the results will be different. They just will. Stop comparing the giant against yourself because you are not coming against the giant in your own strength. Focus on God. Compare the size of your giant to the size of your God. Number one, you got to hear the lies. You got to know the truth so you can identify what the lies are and hear them so that you can discount those. Number two, don't listen to the naysayer. Instead, remember your God stories. Remember those points in your life where God has showed up and done this amazing thing. And then finally, you've got to focus on God. The beautiful thing is that it happened. 
as Goliath rose up and David rose up, they, they started to come together. David picks up, a, he takes a stone, he puts it in his sling and he sprints at Goliath and you can just see this kid with this slingshot. And I imagine David, I mean, obviously he's pretty good at it, but you just wonder how many times when David's been out in the field and he's been watching over the sheep, I imagine that gets kind of boring and I imagine he's kind of sitting there from time to time and the sheep are out grazing in the field and he's just got a slingshot there in his pocket and there's a rock, I'll throw, put that in there and sling it and see. I mean, how you ever been in this wintertime, I walk my dogs in the snow and I'll be waiting on them to do their stuff and I'll you know, gather up a snowball and see if I can hit this oak tree in my backyard. I do that all the time. You know, and I'll, I'll make up, you know, two outs and guys at third, you know, and I'll scoop it up. Can't you just see me doing something stupid like that? And, and I'll throw it and hit the tree. Yeah, they got, you know, I, I can just see David doing something like that, seeing if he can, I'm gonna see if I can hit that leaf, you know, and, and wing. I bet David has done this a million times. I mean, this is not something that's unfamiliar to David. This is what David does. He's very good with this slingshot. He grabs a stone and he takes Goliath down with one shot, probably right between the eyes, and you hear this big thud. Today, grab what you have in your hands, whatever it is, and know that you don't go in your own strength and you don't go in your own might, but that you have the armies of the living God behind you. You have God himself. You are a child of the king. And that when you go into battle, it's not just you compared to the giant, it's the giant compared to God. That's what you've got to keep your focus on. The giant's going down. And then this is key. Understand that when the giant goes down, it's not glory for you. It's not how great you are. It's not how you overcame something. Understand that when the giant goes down, God's going to get the glory for that. This morning, uh, you may not be a Christian and you've heard the story of David and Goliath or at least know the concept of David and Goliath and maybe you feel like you go through your whole day and your whole world and it, you know it's just you against the world and you're, you're outmatched and you think man I could use some help yeah you know what you could use some help the good news is help is available to you the good news is that his name is Jesus Christ the gospel literally means good news it means that you're in need of a savior and the good news is God has provided one. It means that you're in need of forgiveness. The good news is God has provided forgiveness. See, the only difference between people in this room who are Christ followers and those who aren't is that the Christ followers have said, yes, I need forgiveness. It isn't that the Christ followers don't need forgiveness. Good night. We need it as bad or worse than anybody else. It is that we finally said, yes, I'm a sinner. I know that Christ died on the cross for me. I will receive forgiveness. If you're not a Christ follower today, the only reason you're not is not because you're not good enough. It's not because you don't know the language. It's not because you don't go to church enough or give enough money or read your Bible enough or pray enough. It's not any of those things. You know why you're not a believer this morning? You know why you're not a Christian? You're not a Christian because you have not been forgiven. <laughs> and that's easy. Christ waits to do that. He went to the cross to do that. I, it just, I don't understand why anybody could, could hear that concept that God loves me, he sent Christ to die for me, and because Christ died for me, I am forgiven. How someone can hear that and say, no, I don't want that, I don't need that. It, it just, it floors me. So today may be the day that the, that the message finally gets through. Wait a minute, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. I need Jesus, I need forgiveness. Then this is the morning that you can respond. We're gonna stand and sing in just a moment. 
Uh, and if you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you to do that this morning. If you want to talk to somebody about it first, come, come get me. We'll talk. Or if, talk to the person that brought you. Um, but this whole idea of, of coming to Christ is something that probably needs to be settled for someone in this room. I pray that this morning will be the morning that that happens. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, you, you are so much bigger than every giant that we face. Uh, it's not even close. You're amazing. You're, no one can touch you. And why in the world we insist on facing the giants in our life by ourselves and without your help? It's beyond me. I, I, our pride is staggering sometimes. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning for all of us in this room because we most certainly will face giants. Most of us probably are facing them today. And if not, we'll face them soon enough. But Lord, you're big. And uh, every giant that we face, you've got it figured out. You've got it covered. You've got all the power that it takes to overcome that in our world. And I pray, Lord, that we will be found in the morning and this afternoon and as we leave here, completely dependent on you, rehearsing our God stories in our life, all those times when you have showed up before, you've proven to us that you have the power to overcome. And so, Lord, now we cast ourselves completely on you. We, our, our, our head is at your breast, and we just tell you that we need you. We can't do this without you. We want the giants to disappear, but the only way that happens is that we compare the giant to you. And I pray this morning we're doing that. Father, we love you. You really are the, the one source, the one true thing in our world, the one thing, the one person that can, can totally overcome whatever we face. We know that. We declare it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.